Hey, all you disciple makers around the world. This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. In this episode, we've got Dave Buring of Lionshare, and he's covering various topics, including the decline in biblical knowledge among younger generations, the importance of discipleship, the challenges of spiritual warfare, and the importance of hearing the voice of God. Is that a skill that you have? Is that something that you've been working on? That's something that I've been working on, and my wife told me the other day, we're not very good at that. (laughs) And I think that she might be right. In this episode, Dave shares personal stories and experiences and discusses the need to develop a hearing heart, which involves being open to God's voice and provides ways to test and confirm God's instructions. I found this episode to be extremely helpful, and I believe that you will too. Let's jump in and hear from Dave Buring. Thank you for coming. We're glad that you're a part. So let me tell you kind of... um, why we're doing the topics we're doing. This is year 51 for me of following Jesus and year 46 of ministry. And a lot of that's been discipleship. I often will step back and and, and look at, okay, what am I seeing? What have I learned from the past? Like I remember in the early 2000s, noticing how we would have young leaders or youth come into different settings. And I would find that their basic knowledge of the Bible had shrunk. Have you noticed this? Where like in the 90s, they would come and it was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. But late 90s to mid 2000s, you know, I was getting really sincere questions where people would ask things like, so Dave, why is Saul here in the Old Testament? And then he shows up again in the new. Because they didn't know the time. They didn't know as sincere as could be. And so I've been noticing, you know, some of the, the decline. Uh, Henry Blackaby will tell you he says he thinks this is the most biblically illiterate generation in American history. And he's not saying that as a slam. He's really trying to say it to church, we got to wake up. All right. This is why disciple making is important, right? So um, as, I, as I look at things, I always, and I, I love all the discipleship material that's out there. I mean, you do that, type in disciple making tools. It, there's a plethora. We, one of the places where we work is Nepal, and we just finished a copy of, so our, our primary tool is called a discipleship journey, and we just have finished it in Nepali. So we're going back to Nepal where they don't have this kind of stuff, and we're helping equip pastors and leaders to use it. So it's kind of fun because it feels like you have a chance to disciple a nation. And um, so as I look at things, there, were, there are several topics, three in particular, that are often void and missing as you're discipling people. One of them is hearing the voice of God. Like we gotta help people do that. Like that's a primary thing, right? A second one that we'll look at tonight, uh, particularly when we work with a lot of 20s and 30s, but applies to all of us is relinquishing rights. Like it's, a, it's an aspect of walking under the Lordship of Jesus. I, I like the old phrase that I don't hear anymore. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's really not Lord at all. And oftentimes I find as we talk about relinquishing rights, we realize there's certain things we've hung on to that hinder our obedience to Jesus. I want to talk about that. Um, We'll talk about spiritual warfare. This is one of the topics too, that I find a lot of disciples of Jesus go like, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't reference that. And as you'll find, I'm a, I'm a guy that's really practical. Like if I'm on the way to something I'm supposed to speak at or whatever, and I get a flat tire, I'll call somebody if I can't fix the tire, which they're better off doing it than me. 
And then I will be also recognizing the enemy wants to use this to get me off my game. See, so I'm not, I'm not a guy, and I'll say this again tomorrow. So in spiritual warfare, we either have this side where when something bad happens, like if the file cabinet doesn't open, we're sure the devil's holding the drawer shut. No, it's just remove the, right? But then there's the other side over here. That's the extreme of, man, we don't really need to even reference it. And the enemy's standing in the back doing this. Uh, somebody who I got to know at the end of his life was a man by the name of Keith Green. And Keith has a song that is called, No One Believes in Me Anymore. And it's, it's as if the devil's singing it. Like his greatest ploy, his greatest trick is to cause us to just believe he, he has no influence on anything. And it's a lie. And it's something that we don't, we don't you know, go looking for. But if you have it on your radar and you spot it, you go, I know what that is. See? And so I want to help us with that because these are three areas that I see, particularly as you disciple people in the church, you disciple next generation, they've got to understand these things. And if they don't, the, the, there can be a, a gap in their discipleship. So the first one that we'll deal with today is, is hearing the voice of God. And um, let, me, let me just ask you this question. So I'm going to do this as a given because we know this. If I say to you, how does the Lord communicate with you the most? We all know he speaks to us through his, his word. It's the most solid. He stand on it, right? But Jesus was a man of the word and the spirit. Okay? He knew the word. He quotes it a lot. But he was also a man that knew how to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. We need to be men and women of the word and the spirit. We need to be both. Because in the middle of my day, when I'm trying to make a decision, when this or that happens, and I'm trying to not just kind of Dave's mind, I'm trying to say, okay, Lord, is there something here? that I need to pay attention to, see? And it's learning to listen in the middle of the day. Sometimes I think we can have our quiet time and leave Jesus there on the couch. Have a good day, you know, and then we go, when you go, we go do our thing and we meet him the next morning on the couch. But that 24 hours that you're living, like when you read the book of Acts, like you, you know, right in the book of Acts, they couldn't run to the Jerusalem Christian bookstore and pick up a copy of the New Testament. So when you read Acts, you have to realize those Jewish boys and those new Gentiles knew some of the word, but they didn't have the New Testament and they had to listen to the lead of the Holy Spirit. It's crucial. Let me illustrate this to you in a practical way. So several years ago in a home that Sean and I used to live in here, so we used to live in Franklin Green and I would, I would walk about a three mile walk in the morning. It was kind of exercise, prayer time, thinking time combined. And one particular morning, it was a fall morning, I was on my walk and um, I was on the sidewalk and there was a lady and her, looked like her college age daughter walking slowly ahead of me. And I remember passing, getting on the, the side road there and passing, hey, good morning. As I walked by about 10 steps down, I heard the Lord, not here, just here. On the way back, I want you to stop and talk with them. And I didn't hear it like, you know how it is just there. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, I have another two and a half blocks to walk. So I kind of was like, okay, Lord, that's like, you know, about a half a mile's worth. They got to be, well, sure enough, you get down to the corner. I turn around, I see they're walking back the other way. And so I'm just walking. I don't even know what I'm supposed to say, but I'm now like 20 steps away from them. And I go in my head, this is going to happen. I call these my pee in my pants moments, because if Jesus doesn't come through, it's just going to be a mess, right? So I, I now walk by them this way and I get off into the curb again and I get, I get probably this far in front of them and just stop so they didn't feel threatened. And I just said, hey, I know I said hi to you a moment ago. That's all I said. 
And the young lady, the, teen, the college age girl, had her hands, it was a cold September morning, wrapped around her coffee cup. She gave it to her mom like this, and she walked up to me uncomfortably close, like here. And she says, you don't know this, but I go to the church you go to. And several Sundays ago, you spoke on such and such. You have no idea how that's ministered to me and my family. And it was about a physical issue she had. And so right there, a prayer meeting happened. And within about nine months later, my wife was taking a group of young ladies in their 20s through discipleship journey, and Abby ended up in her group. And Abby and her husband now lead our young adults group at our church. She wrote me about six weeks later, just sent me an email and said, thank you for your obedience to stop. You have no idea what that meant to us. And then that's one of those, yes, we got one right, right? I think we know how to hear God's voice more than we realize. And my, I would submit to you that oftentimes it's after the fact. That was God, right? That's where we got to go next. Okay, I think let me step. But usually after the fact, we can analyze it, but it's learning in the moment to be responsive. And for me, like the biggest deal is, well, what if, it's, what if I screw up? What if it's not God? But here's the thing I've learned. If I don't step out, I'll never learn. I'll never learn. And, and, what, and what is the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, I have to humble myself and I can always use more of that. Hey, I'm really sorry. I think I missed it on it. Just never mind. That was bad pizza from the night before. It had nothing to do with Jesus, right? But it's learning to cultivate that inside of us, okay? So one of the things that I like to, to help us reference is when you think about who it is that is speaking to you, okay? Just so you know, a lot of the content that we're sharing the next couple of days is here in our Discipleship Journey Manual. But, but I, I, this is really key. Remember who it is that is speaking to you. Like, I remember sitting on our little courtyard uh, for a morning on the 40th anniversary for me of ministry, and I started writing down in a journal, what have I learned in 40 years? And the number one thing that kept coming back over and over again is this. The image of God that you carry around inside of you affects the way you live your daily life. What is that image of God that you carry around? We have a gift for you on that. If it's something you want, I'll tell you about later. But one of the things I like to, to do is use these kind of four understandings of God's attributes. First, he's holy and feared. I mean, holy, holy, holy. It's like, he's God, you're not, right? He's the creator, we're the creation. I mean, there's this sense of the fear of the Lord. Reverend, which, I, which we define as reverencing and referencing God in all that we do. It's reverencing who he is. It's also referencing him so we don't live a life of presumption. Okay? But it's recognizing as you go before God, he's not your backpack buddy that you just pull out when you need him. He's holy, holy, holy. Okay? It's a good thing once in a while to have a little bit of a tremble reminding, being reminded who he is. Right? Secondly, he's a father. So along with being holy, 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 he's a father and he's a good father. How much more would your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Okay, he's a good father. And it's something that he wants us to understand. We, we just got done, I'll, I'll tell you more about the leadership games as we're together over these few days, but it's a, it's a catalyst for those in their 40s and 70s that we prepare and help you be ready for to disciple those in their 20s and 30s, both spiritually and vocationally. And so we help people who are in government, disciple those in government, those in business and business, those in media and media, et cetera, those in the church, in the church, all right? And 
last summer we talked about God as a father and, and we had a, just an amazing thing of Jesus showing up in the room and revealing himself in that way. And, and young people who maybe didn't have stuff with their dads, good things with their dads, be able to forgive, but know, hey, God wants to reparent us. Yeah. How are we going to actually change society? The way you change it is the way Jesus showed us. Make disciples who then as he grows them up, pushes strategically puts them in roles of influence that make godly decisions. And, and so this one little pea brain guy here believes this. We are reaping what we've sown as a nation because we've disobeyed the last command of Jesus to make disciples. That's it. So one of the ways we can help our dear next generations is by investing in them now so they know how to invest in the future. Thank you for asking that, though. So, so we have this. We have God as a father who loves us, cares deeply about us, loves us unconditionally. We have the shepherd who guides the flock, guides sheep, feeds them, tends them, watches over them. And we also have our friend, God, our friend. So when you, when you think about remembering of who it is that is speaking to you, these are some of the things that you want to kind of remember. Okay, this is who I'm speaking to. All right. And it, and it helps us kind of wrap our heads around this. All right. I'll tell you about, we have a free app that you're welcome to get where we did 366 daily video devotionals. There's just two minutes on the character of God. That if you use it for a year, you'll go through 101 attributes of God's character three to four day each to renew your mind about what God's really like. It's huge. Because if you, if you don't see God for who he really is, like he is amazing. And he's amazingly attractive. But if we grew up where there's legalisms and rigidities, and then we're viewing God as like, you know, the sergeant in an army, or he's just the insurance guy where you kind of, that's how you view him. You get your insurance, hell insurance from him. He's way more than that. Like if kids were attracted to Jesus, it shows us the kind of person that he was. See? And I think part of it is people, they need to experience Jesus through us. That, that's how this is supposed to work. That's what discipleship is. You'll hear us define discipleship as reproducing God's character, ways, and mission in our lives. Is it based on, it's based on scripture, the life of Jesus, <laughs> excuse me, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But if you don't reproduce God's character in somebody, they could know as many Bible verses as they could know. But if their character doesn't demonstrate Jesus, so what? So what? You want their character to look more like Jesus, that there is grace and there is mercy and there is justice and there is kindness and there is truth, but it's done in a relatable way. Like if you hang around us long enough, you'll often hear us say this, that, you know, to the degree you have relationship with somebody, to the same degree you have authority to speak into their life. Like if you don't have a relationship with them, you don't really have the weight to speak into their life. And yet, that's not how we run society. We just, nowadays, we just have an opinion. We put it up wherever we want and on social media. And, and you wonder why my relationships are ruined. It's like, hey, we've got to realize you've got to earn that by relating well with people. And Christians should be, bar none, the best relators on the planet. Period. Why? Because Jesus was. So, so there's a little food for thought for you. How would you be rated as a relator to those around you? See, God is a relator. Father, shepherd, friend, holy, holy, like he, he is a relator. All right? 
fleshing out Jesus through people's lives. That's what Jesus wants to do with discipleship. So that we reproduce more people that look like him. Not perfectly, heck no, never. But they look more like it. Their attitudes are more like them. The graciousness and kindness is more like him. See? So, cultivating a hearing heart. So, when I was a young guy in, in Youth of the Mission, this was a verse we often used. In Psalm 66, 18, we were kind of preparing our hearts for prayer to listen to the Lord. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So one of, one of the things that Shell and I learned to do, and we um, pray together, to ha- we often will go on prayer retreats. At least once a year, we try to get away and we just have a list of things we need to wait on the Lord about. And so Cheryl enjoys it. She doesn't have to fix meals. We go out to eat, but we take a couple days and have like four or five hour and a half or so segments we can say, okay, let's wait. Like when our kids were young, let's wait on the Lord about our kids. God, what are you saying to us about kids in school? And it could be my wife is a coffee artist. She paints with coffee. Amazing. And we are, wait on God, what are you saying about that? About lion share, Dave, about speaking stuff or travel. What are you saying? And we learn to listen to the Lord together. And one of the things, by the way, if you're married, you know, your spouse is the loudest voice of God in your life next to you hearing from God. It's not your pastor, your favorite author. It's your spouse. So have we kept that open to be able to listen when they say something to us? Or do we just kind of shut it out? Because maybe the Lord's in there somewhere. See? And so Shell and I will seek the Lord on things and ask the Lord to give us insight and follow his lead. Hey, Gary. And so it's one of those places in our lives where when we begin, we always ask this question, Lord, is there anything in my heart that would hinder me hearing from you? And then when you look at the, the parable of the sower, you guys know this story, all right? He, he sows the, the word, and the first one is he sows it along the path. And when they hear it, it says Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And sometimes, you know, we might find that our heart is a little bit hard. Like, like when the word tries to go in, it, it can't. It, it's like the soil is hard. When the Lord is trying to speak to us, is it not going in? Because there's things, there's issues there. God, I, I'm bitter. God, God I'm angry. God, and, and God wants to soften the heart. All right? So when we look at heart conditions, the second one is the shallow heart. Those are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, so think of the Lord speaking to you, immediately receive it with joy. But because they have no root, they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises, account of the word, immediately they fall away. In other words, it's like, Okay, I'm excited. I've heard this, but they don't know how to digest it and make it a part of their lives. So when tough times comes, we bail on it. Think about that. Okay. Then you have the third soil, the crowded heart. Others are the ones sown among thorns. Those, see, notice they all hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke it. Like, I wonder how many times we heard something from the Lord, but then again, cares, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. It, it just, it never comes to pass. Like, just think, is there things in your life where you know the Lord has shown you to do something? And in some ways, we've kind of done the la, 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 la. We don't want to hear it. Okay. And then, of course, you have the fruitful heart. Those who hear, sown on good soil, are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So, one of the things that Cheryl and I, will, again, will do is, is prepare our hearts 
to hear the Lord. On one of our prayer retreats, we were just, Lord, is, here's how we approach it. Lord, is there anything in our hearts that's not right before you or each other? And it was quiet for about a minute. And then Cheryl said to me, hey, honey, I got something. I said, okay, what's that? She said, I'm mad at you. Oh, really? <laughs> Do tell. And so she told me and it gave me an opportunity then to say, sweetheart, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And so we made sure we were good as well. So we could hear from the Lord through each other. Okay. So it's, it's the tending of our hearts. So as you think about helping people hear the voice of God, one of the things that we have to realize, and, and this, is, this is not just a spiritual thing. I mean, think about this in your life. When you don't have a relationship with someone that's in a good space, it's hard to hear from them. See? And so it's not just us and God. It's just, it's a relational thing that's true with God, with people. And so it's, is, is our hearts right? And this doesn't mean navel gazing. Okay. This like literally Sean, I will just wait, Lord, is there anything? We'll just wait quietly. And the Holy Spirit is always faithful to bring stuff up. Oh. And so we'll just, we'll just pray out, confess it before the Lord, before each other. Or if there's something here we need to make right, we'll, we will do that. So just know there's kind of these, because when people say, how come I have a difficult time hearing? It's like, I want to say, join the club. Like, guys, just know, because I'm teaching and this doesn't mean I'm an expert. I still feel like a kindergartner. All right. So just know that. But it's like, I've learned that first I have to go, okay, what is my view of God? Like, do I, do I, like with my grandchildren, if they were to come and ask me for something, here's a, here's a toy. It's like, Yes, we know sometimes parents don't want them to. Sometimes we don't have the budget to. But if you're there in that moment and they, they're giving you that look, Cheryl falls to this one pretty quickly, you know, gives you that look. Everything inside you is a papa or nana, okay? How much more so your father in heaven? Like he adores you, see? But if we don't, if we don't reference him like that and he's somebody that we have to kind of put his arm behind his back and slam him against the wall. You need to tell me what I'm supposed to because he doesn't want to speak to you. Like, what kind of concept of God is that? See? So there's that. And then the second thing is, what is the condition of our heart? Do, have we cultivated a hearing heart? Okay. So let me, let me just show you um, six or seven ways. I think it's six ways here from the scriptures that God often speaks to us. All right? So again, why am I sharing this with you? First, for your own growth and encouragement. But secondly, so you can disciple people to learn to hear God. It's, it's game changing. Okay. So the first way of course, is through the scriptures. All right. Through the scriptures, we know all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God, daughter of God as well, may be complete equipped for every good work. All right. So we know that. So it's being in the word and posturing ourselves I like to sometimes when I'm reading or trying to memorize things in the word, I like to think of it as um, having pores like my arm, you know, that there, it's life. There's breath. There's this living, breathing thing going on. It's not just words on a page. And there's sometimes when I'm reading the word that something just jumps out at me and speaks to me. And it's like, wow, that's exactly for what I was going to. Isn't it amazing how God does that? All right. So we know he speaks to us and there's just the general understanding of truth from scripture. Okay. Secondly, through impressions from the Holy Spirit. So these are the kinds of things where the Holy Spirit drops something into your heart and mind. It's like the thing when I was on that walk, it was, hey, on your way back, stop and talk with him. Okay. So Acts 8, 
Notice this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem and to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now note this. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Okay, now just know at this point in the ballgame, this is not an outer voice here. This is something in here. Because remember, the Holy Spirit had come to fill them. And so now you have this point here where the Spirit says to him, go over to that chair. It's the same thing as stop when you get back to these two ladies. It's learning to cultivate that. Okay, it's paying attention to it. And again, this particular thing I've noticed with all of us, we tend to recognize it more after because you go, that's what I... I, that's what God said, right? After the fact. So it's learning in the moment to recognize, okay, God, what are you doing here? How about this one? Waiting on God. Learning to wait on God. This is what Cheryl and I try to do in our prayer retreat. This could be through prayer. It can be in worship. It can be in fasting, but it's, it's purposeful. So when Cheryl and I do this, we here's kind of the steps that we do. Again, you'll find some of this in, in Discipleship Journey, but the first step again is the heart, what I've told you about. And then Shell and I recognize there could be four voices we could hear. Okay? So we start with, Lord, we lay aside our own thoughts and imaginations, taking them captive. Okay? Corinthians talks about this, all right? So we know that's one. We just recognize that, we, Lord, we just silence the voice of other people who've tried to say this and tried to say, we just silence that. We resist the enemy in Jesus' name and say, you have no authority here. You're not invited to this prayer time. Guess whose voice is last? And so almost like little children, we will just sit there and say, God, what do you want to say to us? And I usually have my Mac handy. We know when we're ready to share because our eyes are, you know, meet. We're looking at each other instead of kind of quiet and we'll share. What did you get? And sometimes one of the two of us gets something. Sometimes both of us get something. Sometimes neither of us get anything. When that's the case, we just go, okay. Let's just put that one on the back burner here because the, uh, the Lord didn't want to say anything to us on that one right now. We'll come back to that. See? But, but you guys, it's learning to recognize this and it's cultivating it. See, we live in, a, in an age where we're so used to being guided by information versus God revealing things to us on the inside. Both are important. But what I'm talking about here is, is helping someone know in here what this is like. And I know this is a weak way to say it, but I don't know how else to better say it. When you capture something like that, like, well, let me tell you a story. For me, I was about um, 21 years old. I was asked to go, come from Kona, Hawaii to San Jose, California. I was speaking at a youth camp. And it was, a, it was a, um, I remember maybe double as wide as this, but about five times. It was a, one of those long kind of rooms like this. And so as I'm speaking, I'm just looking at faces and all this. Things done, go to bed. As I'm turning my light off and laying down and my head hits the pillow, all I see is this face of this young man that was in front of me. And the Lord said to me, he has a bad relationship with his dad. Didn't hear it here. It was just here. And I didn't even hear it in a sentence form. It was just there. And I remember sitting up going, what was that? What is that? And I just said, Lord, I guess all I, I'm going to ask is if there's probably 150 people there. So I'm saying, Lord, if, the, if you're going to have to make this obvious to me that I'm supposed to say something to this young man. And obviously he was preparing my heart to minister to him. Well, of course, the next day I'm out for a walk in the woods. He goes, hey, you need to go walk this trail. It's beautiful. 
It's just me coming back and guess who's coming up the trail. Of all 150 people, it's him. So I stop, pee in my pants moment again. It's either going to be Jesus or there's going to be a mess here. And so I turned to him and said, hey, just I had a weird thing happen last night when I kind of laid down. I just kind of saw you, kind of recognized you from the audience that night. And the Lord put in my heart, I, like I never tell people God said to me. Can I just encourage you not to use that? Because here's the thing. If you submit something to them, if it's God, they'll know. You don't need to tell them because then it confuses people, right? So I just said, hey, I just want to share what happened last night. So I, I told it like as a story. And so I said, then I, I, I felt like I heard the Lord say to me that you have a bad relationship with your dad. And I just looked at him as I'm saying it, kind of going, here's hoping, right? And he said, totally, totally. So guess, guess how that hit him? God sees me. Guess how it hit me? It was like, wow, right? And my heart was prepared to pray with him right on the spot. So we prayed, forgive your dad, pray God's blessing. I mean, on a, on a little path, little track. See, let me, let me say this to you. If you have a heart for the emerging generation, particularly those in their 20s and 30s and teens, you've got to understand this is the adventure they need to be on. Sooner or later, we get tired of special effects. We've seen them all. Well, yeah, that one's not that much bigger than the eye. Yeah, yeah. We've got to help them encounter Jesus, where Jesus is real to them. They've heard him say something, and they step out in obedience, and they see a life changed. Jesus, through their lives, changing somebody else's life. It's huge. This whole era of waiting on God. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he all night he continued in prayer to God. So he's waiting on the God, waiting on the Father. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. He was waiting on them. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You know, disciples and apostles are two different things, right? We're disciples of Jesus. This is a gifting. And he, so he chose, he could have said he named whom he named evangelists or he named pastors, but he chose people who were pioneers because he knew what the church needed at the time to pioneer it. See? All right. How about this one in Acts 13 while they're waiting? While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So it's the birth of missions. Okay. So like, look at the kinds of things. You've got the clarity of who the disciples need to be. You've got the clarity of launching them into missions. It's, it's waiting on the Lord. What can God do? So I want to challenge you. Do you know how to wait on the Lord so you can do that with a young leader so they know how to do that? Do you know how to do that so you can help your small group know how to wait on the Lord? See? Through the peace of God. So you guys probably know this verse, Colossians 3. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, the thing I like about this, this word rule, in our English language from the Greek, it's the word umpire that we get in baseball. Safe or out. Let the peace of Christ be an umpire in your hearts. Like think about the times when you didn't have a peace about it, but you did it anyway. How'd that work out for you? Cheryl and I have a principle as a married couple. If we both don't have a piece on it, it goes on the back burner. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean it's bad. It might be timing. But if we're not in agreement on it, we'll just, because we try to listen to the Lord and we know if one of us is going, yeah, I think that could be right, but I just, something's off about it. Goes on the back burner. I've had to learn as a husband not to say, come on, ride with me. Let's do this. Doesn't work. It's not helpful, and usually I'm wrong. 
Let me illustrate this for you. So um, we have lived in this community now for 32 years. And when we, um, our kids were about ready to go into high school and junior high, we moved to this Franklin Green subdivision over here. And uh, we were there for 19 years. After about, um, let's see, this was about 2014. We moved in 2019. I said to Cheryl, "Hun, our kids are both, you know, out of the home. They're married or they got their lives. Is it time for us just to downsize? And we, we were just like a 2,300 square, so it wasn't huge, but we just, and, and I said that to her and Cheryl looked at me and she said, I'm just not there yet. So it was like, okay. So I just put it on the back burner. Two years goes by. Don't bring it up. Don't say it. There's no need to. I know if Cheryl's feeling something from the Lord, she'll tell me. And sure enough, as we were going uh, into the summer of 16, we are doing one of our prayer retreats. I was speaking in D.C. and a, somebody gave us a place in Annapolis, Maryland to use for our prayer retreat. So we were there. And, and she said, "Hun, remember when you brought that up about selling the house? I said, yes. She said, I think we need to pray about that now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So should I put it on our prayer retreat? Yep. So we go to this prayer retreat in June. And during one of our times, I said, are you sure you, were, you want to bring this up? Yep. So we asked the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to us? This is June of 16. And we felt like the, so we just waited quietly. Three, four minutes goes by. I'm looking, Cheryl's looking at me. Honey, what did you get? She said, I felt like the Lord said that we were to sell our house in the spring. And I said, really, I got that we were supposed to move in the summer. And so we said, are we saying then that we feel like around that time a year from now, we're supposed to, yes, done. So we get back. So Cheryl and I, Cheryl one day says to me, like in September, we probably should find where we're moving. I said, that's probably a good idea. So we start driving around the area. Well, we end up down here on Carruthers, which we hadn't been to for a while and looked through a couple things, nothing there. And then we saw this subdivision that was called Water's Edge that we started driving down to. And there was these signs that said open house. So we park, we go in to this little cottage, about 1900 square feet, 1400 on the bottom floor, like a loft upstairs, about 500 square feet. And my approach is different than Cheryl's. I, I like to see the big picture first. So I'm, I've been in the master bedroom and I'm now into the kitchen in the family room. Cheryl's in the master bedroom closet or ma a master bathroom. And she's in the linen closet. And I hear from the kitchen, this is it. She, she likes closets. And, and I said, and I came, so I come, said, what did you say? She said, this is it. This is what we've been looking for. And she hadn't even seen the rest of the house. It was like the linen closet was the will of God, right? So, so we look at the rest of the house and, and we go to put some money down on it. The guy says, no, it doesn't work that way. You're number 58. And I said, okay, so what does that mean? He said, well, it's the end of September. You got to wait till you're first and then you can put money down. But he said, Dave, just remember that some of these people bought elsewhere and so they're not on the list anymore. So it'll whittle down. Well, December 31st comes and um, he calls and we're out to eat. And he says, hey, can you come and see me like day after um, the first on the second? And he said, that lot that you guys were interested in, that's available. And so Cheryl and I go over there. We put money down on it. And well, then comes spring and we kind of get the house, you know, we had some real estate friends come in and say, what do we need to do? Just, the house goes up for sale in May, 12 days later, it sells. Sell in the springtime. Our house was done. We moved September 11th, which was a bit in the very end of the official summer. 
just like God said. But here's what I want you to know. If I would have tried to convince Cheryl to just ride with me in 14, the home that we're living in wasn't even there. God's timing is just as important as his direction. Always remember that. His timing is just as important as his direction. We live in a culture that once we get something from God, we think it's all now. Well, remember, like to back this up biblically a little bit, like God told the Israelites a Savior was going to come and he waited a good several thousand years. Okay? And so part of hearing the voice of God, like Cheryl and I at that point in Annapolis had peace in our hearts from the Lord and with each other. So we said, okay, this is right. And sure enough, the house sold in the spring. We moved in the summer, just like God said. So we've made that kind of seeking the Lord part of our lives. We've made this principle of the peace of Christ to be the umpire of your heart, a key part of how we follow the lead of the Lord. Okay. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Through people. Obviously, this isn't a surprise, is it? Um, I'm going to finish some of this here shortly and we can just do some Q&A as you want. Okay. Um, through people, family, spiritual leaders, you know, friends. Um, as you might remember here in Exodus, I'm not going to read this, but you might remember who is it that Moses gets counsel from? The old father-in-law. The old father-in-law gave him godly wisdom that he followed. Okay. And so like sometimes, you know, what's that portion in, in Corinthians where it talks about we should no longer see each other through eyes of the flesh. Like, like sometimes we can be too familiar with each other. Like literally sometimes with Cheryl, the way I look at her, or even like with Laura who works with me and Darren who works with me, I have to step back and in my own heart and mind. I, I, I do this. Okay, so I'll pick on Cheryl here and I'll go, she's not only my wife. She's a daughter of the Most High. She's a woman of God that has a call on her life. I need to see her through those eyes as well. And the same is true with Darren and the same is true with Laura on my team. If I don't do that, then I can get so familiar with them as my friends and teammates that sometimes when there's maybe something the Lord's trying to say to me through them, I can miss. But if I can look at them through that lens, it, it, yes, they're my friends and they're my teammates and I love them and value them very much, but they're also like Laura and Darren one day, they too have to stand before the Lord to give an account for the call of God on their life. See, as Cheryl's husband, I not only am responsible for my call, I need to make sure I'm doing the best to help her fulfill her call. Like that's part of the spousal thing, right? I just did a wedding and on that um, few weeks ago and I just reminded the couple, hey, when you get married, there's his call, there's her call, and there's a couple call. And part of that couple call is you helping each other to fulfill the call of God on your life. It's not just you pursuing your own, Okay. Through circumstances, all right? This is one of those ones through circumstances that um, I find I like to have partner with other, one of the other six. Because sometimes we can read into circumstances. So I usually say, okay, I see this circumstance. Like, for example, you understand, right, that not every open door is a door you're supposed to walk through. My first learning lesson at this is in my early 20s, and I was with a youth group in Mission Viejo, California. And... Um, and when I was done speaking, there was a man from Tulsa, Oklahoma, by the name of Tom Newman, who we had just met that night. He happened to be there. And he came up to me and said, Dave, would you come and speak this same message to our folks in Tulsa? 
it's a college age group. I said, oh, I'd be delighted to. And we switched at the time, you know, cards. And we were done that night. And I went back to Mike's house where I was staying. And I remember guys the th walking through the threshold of the bedroom, opening the door, walking through the threshold of the bedroom and shutting the door. And as soon as I did in here, I just felt like the Lord say, you didn't ask me. And it was early on in my life. I know I was going to school. And so I, I, I literally, I just got on my knees. I said, Lord, please forgive me for being presumptuous. I just felt like, and it didn't matter what I felt like. I, I didn't ask you, please forgive me. So then I said, Lord, do you want me to do this? And he said, yes. I was like, well, what the heck? I had already said, you know, but you understand, right? The Lord was saying, no, you come and ask me. So like with speaking things, like I'm going to, to Asia here in about 10 days, and it's a very kind of strategic time. 1.5 million Muslims and Hindus, first generation have come to Jesus. And they're in over a half, a quarter million home churches and they need more discipleship. But the move of God that's happening there has been an amazing thing. So Cheryl and I waited on the Lord. That was like, that's, that's time, money, effort, you know, jet lag there, jet lag, it was all that. So we just need to know, God, are you saying something to us? And, and if Cheryl would have had a check, if I would have had a check, I would not be going. So I can get on that plane knowing, okay, I get to go do an adventure with Jesus that he's invited me into, right? Okay. So notice this here. This, I love this passage in Acts 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So notice the Spirit of God mm -mm, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they're like, oh, for two. All right. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then they, they go. All right. This is actually the passage that the Lord used when we were praying about this Asia trip was come over and help us. It's like, okay, so I don't have any agenda except how can I help? See? Okay. So through circumstances, doors were shut and then God used kind of a vision in the night to speak to him. Okay. Here's the last one through supernatural means. This can be like what we just read, visions, dreams, I don't know if you guys, I have never experienced this, had angelic visitations. That'd be a category of supernatural means, right? So we just have to put that there because we see a donkey speaking. That'd be kind of like you driving your car and all of a sudden the steering wheel became lips, right? It's that, it's that kind of deal. And then you have a hand appear in Daniel that says, dude, your, your time of leading is done, right? So God, God can do it in all kinds of, you know, all kinds of different ways. All right. So. So when you look at it, these are, are there more? Sure there are, but these are six core, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven core ways that God speaks to us from that we can see in the scriptures that you can see validated by scripture. But you guys, oftentimes as follower of Jesus, this is, this is what we have focused on and we should, but there's these other pieces. And I, I just want to encourage us in our discipleship. First, we have to grow in these areas recognize these areas so we can begin to pass them on to others so that they know how to respond to God in, in situations. Okay. Um, I, I didn't finish my sentence when I said this a little bit ago, once like, like that night, um, I was telling you about with that young man at the youth camp, Hey, he's got a bad relationship with his dad. I remember going back after that, cause that was one of my first times that I could really remember like, wow, this was really clear. 
And, and this is a weak way of saying it, but what does it feel like spiritually inside? And I started saying, what did that, what did that, like with God, what did that feel like inside of me? Because once I captured that and something came along like that, I went, oh, this might be the, and it started to train me to recognize. Okay. So when you have a swing and a miss, like we did in Minnesota, when, um, you know, it was like, I, I had driven into, we were living in Northern Minnesota after we were missionaries with Youth of the Mission. We had a son, Cheryl was pregnant with our daughter, Malia. And, um, I was driving into my mom and dad's kind of long farm driveway where they were tending my grandparents. And I felt like the Lord just dropped in my heart, this sense of make sure you get fuel in your home tonight or make or today. And you know, it's the old farmhouses. So you had this big, you know, gas thing in your basement that they would come and fill the fuel so you could fuel your home. Well, I forgot. We go to bed that night. Cheryl says to me at early morning hours, honey, it's really cold in here. And so I get out of bed freezing now and I go to the thermostat and it's like, you know, 30 below outside and about 29 and a half below inside. Just kidding. But I had, I, I mean, I'm sitting there looking at the thermostat having like revelation from the Lord. I heard God yesterday, you know, <laughs> because it was, it was the Lord. And, and he was trying to protect my family. And that was one of my swings and misses. And I went, oh my gosh, that was the Lord. It wasn't just a thought that Dave had. See, and it was, and it's through some of those things that you learn for me anyway, the swings and misses to go, okay, all right. I'm having that same thing inside feels that's what do you want to call it? Same weight, same familiarity, same sense that I've learned. Just go, you know what? I'm going with it. One of the things that I often do is when I'm in the middle of messages, if any of you here are pastors, you'll relate to this. It's like, it doesn't matter. Um, if I'm speaking at our home church and we have two services, 90% of the message will be the same, but 10% will be different because in the middle of it, there's some illustration or story or something that comes that I didn't even think about, right? And I had to conclude this. I don't think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look at each other and go, let's just mess with Dave now, right? So I've had to learn to trust that if he's bringing it to me now, I'm supposed to insert it now. And as you know, it's amazing how many people afterwards go, that example that you, you, you know, and it was for somebody there. And that's another one of those, yes, thank you, Lord, right? So it's that same kind of, how did you know to go with that? Well, part of it is you trust God's character that he's not messing with you. And secondly, that was a familiar sense inside. So oftentimes as followers of Jesus, we become really good at building up in the word, but we've left this faith. And it's just, it's something that I'm finding Again, because we, we tend to work a lot too with people in their 20s and 30s, they, they desperately want to catch this. But if, you're, if we're older, we need to say, God, would you flex my muscles? And again, I just want to encourage you, you guys have all heard God many times, just like I have. It's just the question of have we recognized it beforehand, right? It's something that we have to pay attention to, recognize, and then step into obedience with. And so for me, I mean, with, so for Cheryl and I, with Laura and Darren and other teammates, that's where for me, there's times I, in my mind and heart, step back and I remember Laura's just not my friend and teammate. She's also a woman of God that God speaks through. And the same thing with Darren, a man of God that he speaks to. So that's what it causes my inner antennas to go up, to try to make sure I'm not missing something. And so 
it does mean I have to exercise humility. It means I have to exercise multitude of counsel. There's wisdom and safety. We just made a decision just this week on something that we're doing with the leadership games that um, was a decision we had to navigate that way through godly counsel, multitude of counsel together. And where I had to kind of walk a little bit more, as we'll see in our next session, of relinquishing rights, palms up, not holding on to something that I kind of would really like to see. And it really worked. Like nobody would have blamed me to say, let's keep doing it that way because look at the fruit. But I had enough provoking that I had to pause and say, okay, Lord, I'm doing this. Hands, palms up. I'm not grasping. The opposite is grasping. I'm not doing that. Are you trying to say something? And so I had to lean into that. And over about the last, um, so we decided on, is it Wednesday we were together? So the previous 10 days, I leaned into that heart and just say, Jesus, just show me. Would you just show me? Would you show us? And so part of it is that it's valuing the voice of God through your teammates. We kind of have a little um, godly principle that we operate on as an organization. And it's this, um, what God initiates he permeates with his presence, his leading, his guiding. What I initiate, I have to sustain. And here's the thing. When we initiate something, like sometimes we're exhausted because we've initiated. And what we're trying to do is ask God to bless something that was our idea. And that's not biblical. It always begins with God initiating and us following. And I've had to, like with this thing called the leadership games we do, as the guy that was the visionary for this, yeah, that's great. That was very good. As the visionary for it, I, our first board meeting mm, two and a half years ago that I shared this, I hung up from that on our Zoom call, just really disappointed. And thinking, how did I miss this? How did I not communicate? And one of our former board members named Dan called me and he said, no, you're still on. And he said, just remember as the visionary, it's all baked in you. You see it. It's like done to you. But your teammates, you got to give them time to let them bake in it a while. And he's, yeah, totally. And he said, just give it time. And sure enough, that was April, November. We were all, let's go. And then we all saw the fruit of it last summer. It was awesome and continue to see it. So sometimes it's like, again, for me, what that was, was a timing thing. And part of that, part of that was because what I didn't know is some of a, a messy situation that was going to happen in our church that God wanted me to give a little more time to that had I been on that track too fast, I would not have, I would have had to say no. And so now in retrospect, I can look, right, you can always do that. Oh, I see how this worked. But in the moment, it is, it is having to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with what you put in my heart. And we're going to talk about this in our session tonight. So can I just encourage you with this? When God gives you something like vision to do something, the first act that you should have is you take it like this, like you're stewarding, it's God's, and you put it on the altar and you take your hands off of it. And you let him burn it and purify it. And, then when he, and, then, and sometimes you're even walking away and that's when he'll tap you on the shoulder and he'll have you put out your hands and he gives you the purified version so that you just didn't run with it in the flesh. Because usually what we do, first step is get the yellow pad out and then we move right into the planning and implementing. And I've had to learn. So I had to do that when our board responded the way it did. It was an opportunity. And they, they, they were with me. There was none. There was, it was no, nothing towards me. It was nothing. It was just them sorting. Okay. But I had to, after that, go like this. God, I put it on here and I, and I walk away. I'm not going to carry it anymore until I know it's you. 
And so for the next, like between then and, and about a week or two before our board meeting, then I had to kind of say, okay, God, what are you saying? Prepare my heart. And then at that time we were like, yes, let's go. So a lot of it had to do with timing. A lot of it had to do with waiting to make sure our team was there. Laura wasn't even on our team at that point, but it was in, we've compared notes of some of the journey of that, of how the Lord spoke to her around that time that, hey, you're supposed to, you know. So it, it, the lovely thing about it is it all, we have to all trust the Lord at whole new levels, right? And that's what, that's what gets him excited. Like, have you ever thought about that as a father in heaven? He goes, now I'm excited. You trust me. And see, he's been trying to work that in us so that he can work his life through us, but it requires that trust. Yeah, he gets the glory for it. Hey, let me just show you this. Um, some ways to test your hearing. Like, you know, does it align with the scriptures? And you're welcome just to take a picture of this if you want. But does it align with the scriptures? Okay. You know, is it is like if Darren comes to me and, and says, as our executive director, you know, the Lord gave me this strategy. We have to be ready. You and Laura and Cheryl and I, I got these SWAT team outfits. And tonight at midnight, we're going to go take down Regions Bank. And, and the Lord showed me he's going to supply for the next 10 years of the leadership. Praise the Lord. Well, obviously, when I say, yeah, Darren, I love that. And I love the SWAT outfit. But the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. And because Darren's a humble God, he says, oh, yeah, I guess I missed that one. That's okay. okay. Give me the stuff back, right? And I'm teasing. But obviously, robbing a bank doesn't align with God's providing from scriptures, all right? Does it line up with God's character and ways? Like, is he asking you to do something that would be opposite of what we know God's character to be like in scripture? or by his ways. It's how God does things. Okay. Um, does it bear witness to you? In other words, does the Holy Spirit bear witness to those you walk with? To, how about to your spiritual leaders? Um, I often find that when it's the Lord, these three things, faith, hope, and courage tend to accompany it. Okay. And then I like to call this the triple confirmation. Like when I really have to make a decision, it's okay. Is this scriptural? The Holy Spirit in me, is he saying this? And then the godly counsel I get around me. You know, are they saying, hey, Dave, we, we agree with you. We think this is the Lord. That's kind of my triple confirmation. So if I'm moving somewhere, you know, if we're launching some big thing, if we're, you know, I won't move forward without that triple confirmation to just know, okay? Don't make it complicated. Like you got to remember God desires to speak to you. Like he wants to. Like that's the thing. And, and do you believe that? Like he wants to. Um, always allow God to speak to you in the way he chooses. Here's that thing we've said, God's timing is just as important as his direction. This, this one's been a help to me, Lauren Cunningham, who just went to heaven, was a guy that discipled me in this one. If lost, go back and do the last thing God showed you to do. So if you're sitting here today going, I'm floundering, consider, okay, what's the last thing I know the Lord asked me to do and go do that? It's like a spiritual chiropractic adjustment that realigns you, Okay. And then, you know, for those of you that kind of have experienced this, if someone has a prophetic word, I mean by that, hey, I've been praying for you and the Lord has shown me this and they speak this word over you, test to see if all or part of it is from God, um, will most often confirm things God's already been saying. Like if someone comes to you and say, thus saith the Lord, sell thy house, sell thy car, move to China by Saturday, you know, you might want to put the brakes on that one. And, you know, because it's, I find that often prophetic kind of words that someone might speak to me that they're really trying to just be faithful to Jesus. There's already something God's been saying to me. And if, it, if it's not that, I will say, can you please write that down for me? And I have a file in my desk at home because then when I step into something and I go, oh, somebody said to me seven years ago, this very kind of thing. Then it's a confirmation to me that I'm in the right spot.
Man, that was fantastic stuff from Dave Buring. I hope that you got as much out of that episode as I did. One of the things he said that stood out to me was he said, the most powerful uh, voice of God, the channel that it comes through the most powerful for you, next to God's own voice, is your spouse. That was that was huge for me to hear that. And I can confirm that. God like uses a certain tone with me when he speaks to me through my wife. It's incredible and it's very distinct. I love that. Up next, we've got more from Dave Buring and his track session number two from the City Tour. And if you would like to have access to all the video content from the Nashville City Tour, go to our website. You can find that there or you can go to the show notes and click a direct link to get access to all that video content. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. And tomorrow is actually Thanksgiving, if you're listening to this on the Wednesday before. So I hope that you and your family have an incredible time of being thankful. God bless you guys.